Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. So our children are dismissed, but it's not just first grade and below today. So sixth grade and below is welcome to head off to Children's Church. They are doing a Christmas party that Pam does every year at the end of the year. So you can have fun with that. If you want to go, go. David Niley, you're the associate pastor here at West Hill. It's great to have you here this morning as we continue our worship with our Lord and Savior. Um, it is sad to think that we are finishing up the Christmas season here as we head into the new year. Um, it's not that we don't stop giving thanks and, and celebrating Christ's birth or anything, but this is a time as, as people start to look ahead and look forward. Uh, whether it's good or bad this past year. And so I've titled today's sermon, uh, A Time for Everything, Having Faith in God's Sovereignty. A Time for Everything, Having Faith in God's Sovereignty. Um, figure I would stick with the theme of faith for the last Sunday of the year as we finish up our, our church theme that has been walking by faith through this whole year. Um, if you've noticed the title of the sermons, at all, they pretty much all have included the word faith in them for the most part. So we are finishing that up with this one as well as we get ready for the new year and a, and a new focus. Our scripture today is going to be Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you want to turn there, uh, when we read through it, it will be up on the screen as well. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 15 will be our focus. In the span of a week, we go from Merry Christmas to Happy New Year. And why, why do we do this? So it's definitely fun, at least for me, to have another reason to eat more. That's how I look at it. You know, tonight I'm going to snack. So I kind of like New Year's even more because the, it's like tons of appetizers all at once. And that's, that's my kind of food. But um, there's a bunch of traditions that have also been passed down. Uh, the New Year's tradition we have now, looking back and looking forward, is nothing new. Um, it's something that's always been around. So what's the history? I'm glad you asked. I think it's fun to know because the scripture we study today is only about 200 years before where our New Year's tradition actually started. Ecclesiastes was written approximately 935 B.C. And so the history of New Year's. Stick with me. I think this stuff is fun, but I think random knowledge is fun. Ecclesiastes, no, I just said that. The early Roman calendar consisted of 10 months and 304 days, with each new year beginning at the vernal equinox according to tradition. It was created by Romulus, the founder of Rome, in the 8th century BC. A later king, Numa Pompilius, is credited with adding the months Januarius and Februarius. Over the centuries, the calendar fell out of sync with the sun, and in 46 BC, Julius Caesar decided to solve the problem by consulting with the most prominent astronomers and mathematicians of his time. He introduced the Julian calendar, which closely resembles the more modern Gregorian calendar that most countries around the world use today. As part of his reform, Caesar instituted January 1st as the first day of the year, partly to honor the month's namesake, Janus. 
the Roman God of beginnings, whose two faces allowed him to look back into the past and forward into the future. Romans celebrated by offerings, offering sacrifices to Janus, exchanging gifts with one another, decorating their homes with laurel branches, and attending parties. We still do that. In medieval Europe, Christian leaders temporarily replaced January 1st as the first of the year with days carrying more religious significance, such as December 25th, Jesus' birth, and March 25th, the Feast of Annunciation. Pope Gregory XIII reestablished January 1st as New Year's Day in 1582, and then, moving forward quite a bit in the U.S., it became an official federal holiday in 1870. Moving forward to traditions, there are more, many interesting ones, but just to, to give you a few. The practice of making resolutions for New, Year, New Year's is thought to have first caught on among the ancient Babylonians who made promises in order to earn the favor of the gods and start the year off on the right foot. They would reportedly vow to pay off debts and return borrowed farm equipment. Which did make me think that I probably have a lot of tools from Pastor Ed that I could return <laughs> before the new year starts. But he hasn't asked for them, so... In the U.S., we have a tradition of dropping the giant ball in New York City and also making resolutions. Other towns have copied that tradition by dropping other things, like a pickle. And another town drops a possum. I can't tell you if that's a real possum nowadays, or I don't know. And then I just heard some other city drop something else. A walleye. Anyways... All that to say, Ecclesiastes 1.9, I like how I transition there, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1.9. I don't say all this to give you, again, random knowledge, although I think that stuff's fun sometimes, but to show you that man throughout all the years, for all time, wants, to, wants a point in their lives where they can start new. And that comes every year. Man wants an opportunity to start something new, to make new resolutions, to look forward, to learn from the past. We are hoping, uh, being hopeful that this coming year will be fruitful and happy, and we have made it through one more year, through one more season, and hopefully what comes next will be great. The, writers, the writer of Ecclesiastes covers this as well. Many would say Solomon is the writer of Ecclesiastes, the son of David, king of Israel from 970 B.C. to around 930 B.C. Solomon covers in his book what happens when we seek for happiness in worldly things. Again, what has been done throughout all of history in many cultures. So I kind of want to cover today what does a happy new year truly look like, and we'll also cover um, how we like to plan, and we always try to plan ahead when the new year comes, but ultimately we need to have faith in God's sovereignty, which again is part of my title, having faith in God's sovereignty. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15 will help us cover much of that today. Um, we're not going to go through it word for word and analyze every single word. I kind of want to get the main points of it, and there's three main ideas from this section that I want to cover. Um, so as we always do, as we get into scripture, would you stand with me, please, as we read from God's word, uh, 
verses 1 through 15. I'll be reading from the ESV. If you want to follow along in your Bible or up on the screen, that is fine as, as well. I'll be the one doing the reading, and you can follow along. So chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God speaks what has been driven away. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this morning as we dig into your word. We ask for it to, to be what you have for us to learn, Lord, even me as I stand up here. Lord, we thank you for this time together and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. So chapter 3 starts off with a poem. Up to this point, Solomon, and even further into the book, reminds his readers that seeking happiness through worldly means is meaningless, that it is meaningless. Chapter three starts with the qualifying statement for the poem. He states that for life under the sun or under heaven, meaning on earth, has a season, has a, has a season, has a time for everything. Everything that happens has a proper time that is not under our control. And this actually flows straight into the poem then in verses two through eight. And again, I don't want to analyze every single opposite here that we see, but just focus on the point of them. Solomon writes to let the reader know that God's timing is perfect. God has a fitting time for each thing that is to be done in our lives. There is nothing that happens that surprises God, and he allows everything that happens to happen or he causes it to happen. God is in control. That is where we get sovereignty from. God is in full control. Each verse of this poem has two pairs of opposites to opposite events in life. Solomon used a literary device known as mirrorism, which I didn't know of until I studied on this, so I don't know that much about our literary devices. It highlights two extreme opposites, giving the totality of the situation, including everything in between. After going through all these extremes, Solomon reassures that nothing under the sun or here on earth is permanent. 
Life is always changing, and we cannot control it. Only God can. Application for this first point is God has a perfect plan. So my point number one is God has a perfect plan. I really like what the Expositories Bible commentary says on this section. It's one of the commentaries I use. It says, verses 1 through 8 have an important connection with the theme of the book and relate closely to what proceeds and to what follows. The significance of this section is that man is responsible to discern the right times for the right actions, and when he does the right actions according to God's time, the result is beautiful, as it says in verse 11. God gives us opportunities to be in line with his plan or his will. And when we are in his will, it is beautiful. So while, while God has a plan, is in control, he still allows for us to have responsibility and choice. And how choice in God's perfect, perfect sovereignty works still amazes me to, the, to this day. I mean, we see clear examples of choice in scripture, but we also see clear evidence of God's sovereignty. And that's one of those things that only he will ever fully understand or that we cannot know while we're here on this earth. Uh, but it is an amazing thing. And I give God thanks for it, that he is in full control. Uh, we are to strive to live for God and to follow his will by being in his word and growing in our, in our relationship with him. Matthew 6.10 says, that's why, that, Matthew 6.10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray. That's why we trust the Lord. It says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We also strive to renew our minds. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I mean, there's many, many more verses that go on about God's will and following his will. We are to trust and know that whatever happens in our lives is part of God's perfect plan. When we were really young, most of us, we were pretty easy to trust our parents or an adult or someone else. And I'm sure you can think of many stories and one of the things that I think of when it comes to trust, um, as we trust God's will or trusting who God is and his sovereignty, one of the things that I think of trust is my kids. All my kids, whether it was in Boston or whether it was at my dad's pool, whatever it was, when they were on the edge, they had no issue for the most part. Once they'd made that first jump and trusted that you were going to catch them, then it was no issue after that. That trust was there. And... They had no issue jumping off. It got to the point for every one of my kids, I had to tell them, you need to let me know when you're jumping. Because you could be talking with someone and then, bloop. So I don't think that ever happened to me, though, thankfully. Um, but that trust is there. We need to trust that God has a perfect plan. And that he calls us to follow his will, and therefore we need to follow it. And when we do, we can have a peace that's like nothing else as we follow his will, as we are in his will. Again, God has a perfect plan. Verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read it again. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. 
He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So this is a shorter section that we're going to cover, but I don't want to miss out on it because of that. Um, and it also can be a little confusing depending on your translation if it's trying to go word to word with the Greek. Uh, we know that God has a plan. We know that he has proper time for everything, but we still try to understand it as a whole sometimes and how it relates to our lives. Since we know that God is perfect and in control, the writer asks in verse 9, what's the point? And he actually, this is a repeat question from 1, 3, chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, what, man, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Again, basically saying, what is the point? Everything man does still is under the condition that the change of times and circumstances are not under his control. So we may be out there, we may be out there toiling and doing things that God has asked us to do, but in the end, it's still not under our control. And this sometimes brings short-sightedness. And all too often we think this way where we're thinking of and we're reacting to what things are happening around us, that short-sightedness. And because of life circumstances, we get stuck on the here and now and we forget that God is the one that thinks eternally, that there is eternal aspect to everything going on. There is a bigger picture that is going on, which leads into the next couple of verses that God allows us to toil, to work, to enjoy life, to have a purpose. It is okay for us to enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, we're trying to follow God's purpose and God's will and all that, and that's how we truly enjoy life that way, but God allows us to enjoy life. The commentary says again, we have to take steps to discover and fulfill the duties to be done each day. That's verse 10. Doing the right thing at the right time yields a beautiful sense of fulfillment. Verse 11. So this is not salvation by works. This is following the will of God and knowing how sweet it is to be in his will rather than fighting it. I think we can all think of times where we're fighting God's will rather than being in his will. And it is much better, much better in the end to be in God's will. Um, it may seem harder at times, but it's a lot sweeter to be in his will than to be fighting it. The, ver the rest of 11, verse 11, talks about eternity and how God allows us to think eternally. I guess this is one of the, this is the, one of the aspects or characteristics of creation that we stand out from the rest of creation. The rest of creation cannot think eternally like we can. God has allowed us to think eternally in that full kingdom that he has set up. And so while we often lean towards being nearsighted and reacting to situations, we are capable of seeing God's will and seeing things eternally. I, I learned this a while ago as we were going through Awana and we were exploding in Alana, Awana, a ton of kids showing up, and it turned out they were kids from other churches, which that's what we do, it's okay, but it turned out to be kids from one other church that didn't have a children's program on Wednesday evening. And in my head, I started to head down the route of, well, why are we watching their kids? And I really had to catch myself and start thinking what others had told me. All right, are you thinking about the full kingdom of God, or are you just thinking about more work that you have to do. And so I had to challenge myself and then challenge others. Like, it's not, it's not about watching their kids. It is, of course, about 
those kids, whether they're from our church or not, being able to learn God's word and his scripture and to have that stored in their heart, which is the purpose of Awana, whether they're from our church or not. We are helping build and be a part of the greater kingdom of God and what has been set up. And also thinking eternally that those kids will be affected eternally by his word and learning his word, no matter where they're from. And so that was one of those aspects of, of reacting and being nearsighted right there, like, oh, this is more kids to have to take care of, versus, oh, no, this is more kids we get to share God's word with. And so just a little challenge there is you go throughout life and you're reacting to things. Like, how can we think more eternally as we go through things? We don't know what's going to happen to us each day and every day no matter how much we plan. And so my point number two is, you don't know the details of the plan, of that plan. So God has a perfect plan, and you don't know the details of that plan. Now obviously through scripture, we have details written down. We know part of God's greater plan, his eternal plan. I'm not saying we don't know that. But for your life specifically, you don't know what's going to happen. You can plan all you want, but you don't know the exact details. So what we can do as believers is we can plan, we can look ahead. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we are seeking God through all of it, then we also have to know that we are to follow his will and that whatever happens is for his glory. No matter what happens, no matter what happens to us is for our growth and ultimately to bring glory to God. In the end, it is to bring glory to him. So we don't know all the details short term, but we do know that we have to, we have to look forward to a long term if we know Christ as our Savior. We know that we have a hope in a better place in eternity with Christ, which is an awesome thing. We also know the details about what happens to us here on earth. It's not like God is trying to keep some of those things a secret from us, like the, the things that happen in the end, end times and all that. Um, we know what the end is going to be like, which is an awesome thing. But again, here and now, he's trying to help us grow spiritually. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So again, you may not know the details of the plan God has for you specifically here and now, but we do have the hope of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if you believe and confess in who he is and who he says he is, that he is the one and only Son of God and that he is God, and if you believe and confess what he did for you on the cross and that he was buried and that he rose again three days later, then you also can have that hope in eternity as well. And you can be made right with God. And then we also can have that hope and understand that whatever we go through here on this earth is only temporary. So I think back to, I think back to New Year's last year. And we're counting down. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Happy New Year! God, please give us trials! No, who... Who's saying that? You don't say that. We had no clue 
as a family what was coming up for this year. We just didn't back then. Everybody struggles through things. Everybody goes through trials. But you don't know what's coming. What I do know is that we always have and always will strive to put God first through all of it. Knowing that he knows the details. Now I'm going to get... <laughs> I was trying not to get into any details to avoid getting teary-eyed. Apparently I got in just enough. It's okay. And some of you don't know me, don't know exactly what I'm talking about. That's okay. We know that there's an eternal purpose for it, no matter what we go through. God has a plan. God has an eternal purpose for it. So we may not have asked for the trials, but I am always asking for forgiveness and for growth. And this is one way that we've been able to see growth. And we are still growing through it. We still grow through trials. You guys all still grow through trials. As one, we just read it in Romans chapter 5. That is one of the ways that God works through us. There's a time for everything. There is a season. Seasons come. Seasons go. Our goal is to glorify God through it all. So again, you don't know the details of that plan, what God's perfect plan is. When it comes to the short-term stuff, you don't know the details. I want to read from the Expository's Bible commentary again. In regards to how the believer looks at God's plan, in this fallen world, the believer must ask, Lord, what would you have me do now? I know my life has an eternal purpose, and I desire to understand how all things work together for good. <clears throat> but I realize that I am not as you and cannot say just why such and such a thing has come to me. Like that said, in the end, we want to desire to understand how things work together for good. But we also have to understand and accept that we are not God. And we have to trust him and we have to have faith in his sovereignty. Point three is that plan is a part of God's eternal plan. God has a perfect plan. You don't know the details of that plan. And that plan is a part of God's eternal plan. Verses 12 through 15. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be, a, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that the people fear, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. <clears throat> Verses 12 and 13 here show that there is still much to be enjoyed about life. It's not, it's not all pessimism here. Right? A lot of people look at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, the first seven chapters or whatever, and think it's all pessimistic. It is a lot of thoughts that way, but it, Solomon's setting it up that way to see what, what God is truly doing in our lives and allowing man to do. Um, but right here, it's not all pessimism. We have life can be enjoyed. We are to live in light of eternity as we started to talk about in the previous point. God has created a world where we can enjoy his creation 
and what he puts before us as long as we are again doing it for his glory. That's the biggest thing. Do it for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whatsoever you eat, drink, whatever, see I can't do it up here now. Whatever you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Um, it is a verse I do have memorized. <laughs> uh, something that Rick Courtwaysy has put in my head since I was in Awana and he was my leader. Um, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Everything is for God's glory. Verse 14 gives us the finality of the situation. God's work and plan are eternal. And so that leads to our last point again. The, this plan, that plan, is part of God's eternal plan. His plan shapes the reality that we live in. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. God has a plan laid in place. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken away from it. All right, the commentary says again, in contrast, man's plans are fleeting and incapable of changing what God has determined to do and lay out. I'm going to read it again. So you get in your head as you look forward to this next year. In contrast, man's plans are fleeting and incapable of changing what God has determined to do and lay out. And as these verses say, people should fear or have a great reverence for God because of this. We should have a respect for God that is above anything else because of who he is. Verse 15 tells us that if we seek God's will and want further guidance, we can find his work in the past. We see it through scripture. We have it there. We have history there. But not only that, we can learn from what others have gone through. We have examples of testimony of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout history or those who are around us now. We can also learn from those who don't know Christ and how they're living their lives. God has given us many ways to learn about how we should live this life. But again, ultimately, the biggest one is his word. He has given us everything he needs in his word. As I think about eternity and looking forward, um, I think of the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Hard transition there. <laughs> it's just an example again. Like, it's my kids now love having a sister, an older sister, even though she's moved out, who is a, works full time. So their present from her this year was a Nintendo Switch something she would never do beforehand. Um, thankfully, she did ask permission to tell Emily and I if we were okay with them getting that. And I'm like, of course they can get that. Not a problem. And she knew in my head, I'm like, yes. <laughs> but it's one of those things where, and I, I don't know why I thought of this. It's just one of those, this is like the lamest example. But for a moment, I knew more than my kids knew. All right, that eternity aspect, even though it was a few days. I knew more than my kids knew, and I was excited for them. I knew what was to come for them when she would come and meet with us and, and open up gifts with them. And so there's that aspect of looking ahead, and I knew what was to come. They had no clue. Now, they weren't down and depressed or anything because they just had Christmas as well, but... I knew they would be more excited and that they had something to look forward to. 
and that they would be excited about it when they received it. I knew what was coming ahead. God knows everything in aspect of our lives. He knows everything ever for eternity. More than that, he's the creator of time. God knows it all. He can see it all, and it is his plan. So you just think how excited he is to look at our lives and see how much we can be used if we are in his will and willing to follow his will and be a part of that plan. God gets excited about that. He wants us to follow him. It is amazing that God even wants to use us in the first place, even to glorify him, let alone to, to bring others to him. God uses us. He wants to. He gets excited for us in our lives. And he is able to see that full plan that we cannot see. And so we just need to remember that as we look forward into this future, as we look forward to what is ahead. God can see it all. God knows how it ends. And, spoiler alert, he told us how it ends. So we have that to look forward to as well. We're able to read about it in his word. In the end, the plan God has for us is a part of an eternal plan that glorifies himself. It is only something that he can fully understand, and we have to have faith in him through it all. We can have faith in his sovereignty. So conclusion, happy new year. Here's to a future you don't have control over. May your plans be ever so joyful. No. No. <laughs> Again, I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying don't be excited for the future. You, you should be excited for the future because, again, it's a future that God has laid out for you. I'm just saying remember that when you're doing your planning, that when you're living your life out and what God has given you, to be a part of his will, to be in that will and not fighting it. And it will be much more sweet than if you were fighting it. It will be much more peaceful than if you were fighting it. I'm not saying it will be less trials, it'll be more peaceful through those trials as you are a part of God's will and trying to glorify him through all of it and what's happening in your life. So the final thing is as you look towards this next year, be a part of God's will, not apart from God's will. Be a part of God's will, not a part of God's will. And know again that God has a perfect plan. <clears throat> you don't know the details of that plan. And that plan is a part of God's eternal plan. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for this day, this time again, to be in your word. Lord, as we look to the future, all too often we do try to control things. And Lord, we just want to give it to you. Lord, we want to follow you. Lord, ask for your guidance. Lord, not only individually, but also this church as a whole. I pray that West Hill would continue to seek your will out. That its leadership would continue to seek your will out. That we as a family would seek your will out as we head into the next year. And Lord, that we would seek what your plans are for us as we plan ahead. Lord, that we would learn from what was behind us as we look forward. Lord, we thank you for all the things that you do for us. Lord, we thank you for this last year, a wonderful year that you've given us. 
And Lord, we ask for the same thing this coming year. Lord, we ask it to be what you have for us and that we can focus on that and follow that. And we pray also in Jesus' name, amen.